Well, good morning. Good morning. It's good to see you all. Good to have you here. Good to see uh, many guests this morning. It's great to have you as well. Welcome to Life Point Church. We've got a lot of great churches in, in Greenville. I'm particularly fond of this one. Um, so we are glad that you are here. Um, I'm going to, and by the way, thank you, Kevin, for last week. You brought a great message. If you didn't get a chance to, to catch last week's message, I highly uh, encourage you to catch that online. We have it on our uh, website or our YouTube channel, and you can watch that. It was uh, really, really good and well done. Um, I'm going to uh, basically jump right in. I've got a message this morning that's um, kind of been on my heart. It's one on a topic I've never taught before, and um, but I just felt like it was needed. Part of the reason I wanted to speak on this is because um, I had a lot of misconceptions and misunderstandings concerning this topic. Uh, I actually this morning want to talk about the legitimacy of church membership. Now you're probably thinking, man, I should have went to that other church down the road. Um, but no, really, this is this is actually uh, has quite a bit of uh, focus throughout the New Testament, um, but we often kind of overlook it if if you're not paying attention. Uh, while there's not always the explicit things regarding church membership, there are there's plenty of of instruction for us regarding this topic and. I personally had uh, a lot of misunderstandings and a lot of questions as to why do we even have this thing called church membership? You know, if I want to be a member of something, I'll go to my local country club or something like that. And I really, it it, it took God putting me, well, first of all, in a position of, um, uh, of a pastor, whether it's here or other places, of being charged with caring for the sheep he places into the flock uh, that I was overseeing at the time. And, and it just uh, kind of motivated me to learn a little bit more about what's involved with that type of role and what's involved with the, those who are in the, uh, the flock, in the family, in the fellowship. So if it's okay with you, I just want to, I, I want to just, this is kind of a, an observation of Scripture, so we're going to have a lot of scriptures this morning. I'm going to have them on the screen. You probably won't be able to flip around that quickly, but you're welcome to try if you want, or you can just make some notes. This will be online if you want to go back and look at some of these passages. But we're just going to we're just going to kind of do a flyby of what scripture has to say about this topic because I think it's important that as a church body we are on the same page about this and what it means and what it means for us. Um, and I know we've got uh, a lot of visitors maybe from out of town or that are going to local uh, colleges, universities here. This actually is applicable to you as well, whether it's your home church or whether it's your college or university right now, because that in a way, uh, in a sense, is your body of Christ, um, whether it's a Christian university or whether it's a secular university, but you are more, more than likely finding a, a body of Christ within that. So that can serve as your uh, as your body as well. So it's gonna it's gonna be applicable to all of us. Well, let's jump in. One of the things uh, we would need to look at if we're gonna tra- talk about um, church is what is that root word? What is that 
word in the original that, that we translate as church. And so if you, if you looked up that Greek word, uh, the word is ekklesia, and it's on the screen here. Um, and the definition, this is kind of a, uh, a, a definition, there's, there's ways that it's used a little bit more specifically, but this would be a good generalization of what this word means. It is a gathering of citizens called out from their homes into some public place, an assembly. And we'll, as we look at some of these passages, you'll see how it was translated. Sometimes it's translated as an assembly. Sometimes it's translated as a, uh, a congregation, um, it, depending on your English translation. But basically, this, in essence, is what ecclesia means. Um, and just again, as a reminder, the Greek is that first word that has the characters that we don't have in our um, in our Roman alphabet, but then the second word is kind of a way for us to try to say that word. Um, anyway, so so let's take a look at ecclesia. Now, ecclesia is the Greek word, but it doesn't mean that church or the, the, the assembling of God's people only came into play in the New Testament, which was written in Greek. No, it, it actually existed from the very beginning. But as you know, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. So what I'm going to look at is where, um, so there's a translation, I think I've mentioned this to you before, called the Septuagint, and basically it's one of the, it's the earliest Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament. So Greek translators translated the Old Testament of Hebrew into Greek, and it is known as the Septuagint. Sometimes you'll see it abbreviated as LXX. Uh, Roman numerals for 70, because there were supposedly 70 or 72 scholars and translators that worked on that. And it's dated from, uh, they say, between 3rd century and 1st century B.C. Uh, some range in there, it's still kind of debated, but, uh, but as you can see, it's old. So it's, it's very old. It's been around uh, a long time. So we're just going to look. So what I what I've done is I've taken this Greek word ekklesia, which we see uh, in the New Testament, which was written in Greek. But I wanted to see where did the translators use that word when translating the Old Testament Hebrew into Greek. Um, so one of the first hits you get on that word uh, would be Deuteronomy, and if you look at Deuteronomy four ten, it says this. How on the day that you stood before the Lord, your God, at Horeb, the Lord said to me, gather the people to me. So anywhere I've underlined the words, that is likely where um, it's been translated to ecclesia. It's a little tough. It was a little tough for me because um, uh, a lot of times when you're looking at a, um, a, a lexicon or you're looking at how they translated from the original to the target language, you're able to kind of line them up. Uh, they didn't have that with the Septuagint and the old um, you know, Hebrew to Greek, so I had to kind of guess this is probably the phrase or the word that they translated to ekklesia, so sorry if that's confusing to you, um, but you'll get the gist of it as we go here. So gather the people to me, God said, ekklesia, that I may let them hear my words so that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on the earth, and that they may teach their children so. So the very first occurrence of this ecclesia, 
is by God himself telling Moses to gather the people before me, which goes in line with what we saw as the, the definition of this. All right, let's, let's take a look at another one. Deuteronomy 9, 10 says this, And the Lord gave me the two tablets of stone written with the finger of God, and on them were all the words that the Lord had spoken with you on the mountain out of the midst, midst of the fire, and the, uh, the fire on the day of the assembly. There's that ecclesia, the assembly. And then in Ezra, we're just doing, I'm just hitting several that, there's, there's quite a few more in the Old Testament, uh, but I'm just hitting a few of these. In Ezra 2, 64 through 65, it says, the whole assembly, ecclesia, assembly together was 42,300 and is that 300, 360, 360, besides their male and female servants of whom there were 7,337, and they had 200 male and female singers. So we see this assembly, people being called out from their homes to gather together before the Lord, the ecclesia, and they had these people numbered as well. Let's take a look at Psalms. There's a couple I'm going to point out there. Uh, Psalm 107.32 says, Let them extol him in the congregation of the people, the ecclesia of the people, and praise him in the assembly of the elders. So that's another example of them gathering, uh, talking about gathering together. And again, Psalms 149.1 says, Praise the Lord, sing to the Lord a new song, his praise in the assembly, ecclesia of the godly. So there's a, a, a few examples in the, again, the Old Testament that was translated to Greek where they used that word ekklesia, meaning those called out to gather together. Now, we can see clearly that we're talking about here ga- coming out and gathering for the same purpose, which is to be before the Lord or to gather to um, uh, do things dealing with God or God's people. So ecclesia is not just a people gathering. So it's normally not used to describe a, a mob mob or a crowd that just happens to gather or a, um, well, I can't say a flash mob. They still do those things now these days, flash mobs, because those are all, always kind of planned anyway. But basically my point is that it's a, it's a people coming together for the same cause coming together for a purpose. That would be kind of the true essence of ecclesia. Well, let's turn to the New Testament, where, again, the New Testament was written originally in Greek. So this word ecclesia was penned by our New Testament writers. So the very first occurrence of that word is by the Lord Jesus and his words uh, himself. So penning his words of what he said whether he spoke Greek or Aramaic when he was saying that, that's still debated. But the original New Testament, New Testament writers wrote this in Greek. And he said this, Jesus said, And I tell you, you are Peter. Now remember, this is when Peter, he asked Peter, Who do you think that I am? And he said, You are the Christ. And so now Jesus is responding to Peter, and he says, And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock... I will build my church. Now, some say it's talking about rock as in Peter. Most would say that this is a play on words, rock being Petra, very similar to um, Peter's name, but it's 
probably the case is Jesus is talking about on this confession that he just made, this confession that Jesus is the Christ. On that rock, I will build my church. And he says, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So this is the second, uh, excuse me, the first occurrence of Jesus using, uh, in, with his words, this, this Greek word, ekklesia, the church. So we, we see now that it's going to be translated most often in the New Testament to refer to the church because it is, it is talking about the Christian church. And we'll get a little more into that. Here's one more example. Jesus speaking again. He says, uh, if he's talking about when someone has been, uh, there's an offense that has happened to, to you. If someone has, uh, in, in the body has offended you, okay? Your brother or sister in the Lord uh, has done something to uh, cause an offense towards you. And so you go to him to tell him what he has done. And it, Jesus says, if he refuses to listen to them, actually, it says, go to him first. Then it says, if he doesn't listen, take two or three with you, uh, witnesses with you, and and then he says, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen to even the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. So here, this is uh, Jesus using the word ecclesia, talking about the church or the God's people who gather together. And here it's likely that Jesus is, he's, you know, at this time, there is no really Christian church. There's his disciples and his followers at that time when he was on this earth walking about teaching and discipling and illustrating what the kingdom of God is like. Um, So when he says the church, he's probably thinking of both the church, the only church, Christian church at that time, which were those people around that area who he was uh, proclaiming this new message to. And then he's thinking ahead of the church that believers will belong to. And he knows there's going to be many, many churches. So there is the church, the global church of God, his people around the world in many individual churches, in many smaller local Churches, so there is this global church, and there is there are these smaller local churches, and I'm, you know, I would imagine that Jesus had both in mind when he said this. So basically, tell it to the church. So we see this uh, already a glimpse of Jesus referring to the church, and in this context, it's to do with church discipline, which is a an, an important aspect of this that we'll. Um, talk about a little bit later as well. So what are some things that we can observe about the early church? Uh, If we look at Acts, it's a great place to kind of focus and and find some patterns and and observe some things concerning the early church, because we're talking about 20 to 30 years of church, uh, the birth of the New Testament church, um, to 20 to 30 years later, um, and the, all the things that happen in between, we get highlights of that in Luke's writing of the book of Acts. So if we take a look at some of those, let's start uh, right off the bat with uh, Acts chapter 2. 
This is right after, as you know, uh, Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit had been poured out, as Jesus promised, onto those who were waiting, as Jesus commanded them to do, to wait until the other one comes, until I send him, and he will give you power to then go and do what I am asking you to do, which is to go and make disciples of all nations. So this had just taken place, and the people who had then seen what happened to these 120 or so believers uh, at the temple in that, uh, in that space where the Holy Spirit came down upon them, seeing them speak in languages, other languages that they had no way of really knowing, everyone hearing them speak in their own language. This miraculous thing happened, and then Peter, after hearing people saying uh, they're drunk, and it's like 9 a.m. in the morning, comes, steps forward in the boldness that he now has, having been empowered by the Holy Spirit, and preaches a very bold, powerful message that not only proclaimed Jesus as the Christ, but pointed the finger at those who were listening as the ones who crucified the Christ. Immense boldness from, from a man who denied Christ just hours before, three times because some little servant girl was questioning him. You, you were with them, weren't they? And he got all scared to now standing in front of all of these Jewish uh, or Jewish people who had just said crucify him and were partly responsible for him being crucified on the cross, and Peter did not hold back. So, so this is uh, this is now those who heard his message and were cut to the heart. Scripture says, and asked Peter, "What sh- what should we do?" And he said, "To repent and uh, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and." to be baptized, and you too would would receive the refreshing of the Holy Spirit. And that began the, the basically the Christian church and God adding to the number. And so this is what we read about that in Acts 2, starting with verse 42. It says, And they, talking about the new believers, the existing 120 and all the new ones that had just turned to the Lord now after hearing Peter's message, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Now, when it says all, it's to these believers, not all people, but all of those believers there. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. It's a fascinating um, glimpse as to the result of the Holy Spirit coming upon man. 
there's an instant change. Not only did we see that with Peter and the instant transformation of his timidness about standing for Christ to the bold message that he preached in front of all of those who had just killed his Lord. Here, there's an instant change with the people. These are the people who were shouting, crucify him. These were the people who were claiming these guys are drunk. These are the same people who had now been cut to the heart and believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and obeyed what they said to do to repent, to be baptized, and no doubt the Holy Spirit had now transformed them from within to the point that now here they are meeting together, devoting themselves to, well, let's look at it. I want to examine it. This is what they did. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So they were learning together. And the fellowship, meaning the gathering of these people, the ecclesia. So they were gathering together to the breaking of bread. So having meals together, sharing meals together, eating together. And the prayers, praying together. So all of these new, brand new believers are now devoting themselves to these things. That's the kind of change and transformation that Christianity is all about. That the Holy Spirit does what no man could do from without. You can't do that to someone from without them, from, from outside of them, trying to to transform them and change them to be the type of people who devote themselves to these things. That's a change from within. That's a change that's done by the work of the Spirit. And this is what, uh, this is what they did and devoted themselves to. So we see this, this beginning of the true ecclesia, the Christian church, beginning right here and by devoting themselves to these things. And we, we, I taught on this not long ago. This is, this is excellent. We should really ponder and focus on these four things because if we do these things, I think things will go well with us and for our church body. If we devote ourselves to the teaching, now the apostles aren't here to be able to stand up here and teach, but Uh, Lord willing, with his help, those of us who stand up here and teach are teaching the same truth that the apostles were teaching. And so we can devote ourselves to not only the uh, us teaching from up here, but you also receiving that teaching and doing it together. And if we devote ourselves to gathering together, if we devote ourselves to the fellowship of one another, If we devote ourselves to the breaking of bread, hey, this one's an easy one for me. I love, this is why we have this ministry called called breaking bread. It's, It's because it's scriptural and it allows us and helps us to be able to get together with one another, those in our fellowship here, and to break bread together, to literally eat meals. Now, it would also include the Lord's Supper. It doesn't always have to be. The point is to be breaking bread together. To, there's something about getting together and having sharing a meal together. I don't know about the women, but for a guy, I would much rather be 
sitting with a guy and eating food than just sitting with a guy and staring at each other. So, but, and I think the, 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 the apostles were probably like that too, breaking bread together. That's a, a lot more practical way to, to be together. But anyway, there is something special about that. We just had breaking bread at my house Friday night. Loved it. It was, it was so much fun. And it was a way for us to get to know one another better. And the more we do that with one another, the more we, we feel like we know one another. And we should because we are in the same fellowship. We are part of the same body. And then finally, the prayers. And this would be no doubt the praying together. We see glimpses of it as we go on in Acts of them together praying for whatever the need might be, whether it's uh, they're under persecution and they're praying about that, praying for boldness, whether they are praying for healing for someone, whether they are praying for um, God's direction of where to take the gospel next. So many things they would gather together and they would pray, praying about who's going to be those who help serve food to the widows. And they would pray for these things and, and do this together. So these four things are excellent things for us as a church body um, to focus on, on these things and implement them. Well, going on in Acts, uh, some other examples would be um, they knew, you can, you can observe that they, the Christian church, the church, the ecclesia, knew who was among them. Because we see that repeated several times. Here's an example in Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, and it's interesting how many times they say number as well, whether they were increasing in number, multiplying in number, it's mentioned several times throughout Acts. So obviously, someone was counting. Someone knew an approximate, at least, of their number. And so that's, that's good for us to know and understand because some people have a problem with counting. Who's in attendance? They need, you need not be. It is scriptural. They knew their numbers, and they knew when the Lord was adding to their numbers because they had an idea of how many people they had in their numbers. Now, in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number... They knew the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Holy Spirit, full of the Spirit, and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip and Prochorus and that guy and that guy and those two guys, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase. Is that the next one? Sorry. Yeah, and the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So uh, you see there, that's, that's a great example of they knew who was among them, to the point that the disciples could say, hey, let's call forth the whole number. Let's bring the whole number together. 
Ecclesia, gather the people together. They knew the number. Let's get them all together. Now, listen, guys, uh, we, we don't need to be taking our focus away from preaching the word because that was their gifting. That was their calling. And it's good that they knew that. So they didn't allow these distractions to pull them away from that. That was their gifting, and that's where they needed to be focused. And that's a good lesson for all of us because we all have different giftings, and it can be a detriment to stick someone into an area where they're not gifted or to not put someone in an area where they are gifted. So part of learning how to be the body is understanding everyone's gifting. So they knew that's not where they needed to be. They needed to be focused on preaching the word. And so they said, call to get the, everybody together, find seven men who are filled with the Spirit and wisdom, and let them be in charge of the, uh, of the distribution of food. And the people who had gathered together and heard this instruction to do this obviously knew those in their number to the extent that they could pick out seven men who were full of the Spirit and had wisdom. So there was a knowing among them. And there was a lot of people by this time. But there was a knowing among them. They, they knew each other to the extent where they could do this. So it's a good, uh, it's a good observation to, to see not only about the giftings that I mentioned, but also about how they knew the number among them and they knew each other who was among them. Here's another example in Acts 15 30. So when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch. I think this was Paul and Barnabas, maybe uh, Peter and John, I don't remember. So I think it was Paul and maybe Barnabas, maybe Silas. So when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation, the ecclesia, together, they delivered the letter. So when they went to Antioch, and if you remember, this Antioch is the first place where they started to call Christians Christian. They, they didn't use that name until it says in Antioch. That's where they started to use the word, the name Christian. Anyway, in Antioch, the believers who were in Antioch became the ecclesia in Antioch. And when this letter was delivered to them, they knew who the local believers and church was. They, they knew who to call to gather together for this letter to be delivered. So we start to see now in Acts this uh, going out, this, the, the preaching of the gospel, going out, not just staying in Jerusalem, but going out to all sorts of cities and towns. And when people believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, they would now become part of that church, of that local body. Uh, I'll talk about this a little bit later, but it's nothing like it is today. We, we can't relate to that. Back then, in, in the town, there was one church. Uh, it was, you're a believer, you belong to the body, the church in Antioch, or the church in... Now, it may be in a big town, they could have had more than one, but my point is, they didn't have... 3,068 in their town to choose from. They didn't have cars to just hop in and go to one after another until they find one that has all the things that tickle their fancy. They had one body of believers. They were the ones who were willing to deal with persecution. They were the ones who were willing to be ostracized. They were the ones who would do, who had laid down their lives to follow Christ. Those were the people that this is talking about. They called them together to deliver this letter. 
So what else can we observe in Acts? We can also see that they began, like I said, preaching the gospel in other cities and, and making many disciples and thus creating churches in those cities. And they also appointed elders in every church. So let's take a look at Acts 14, starting verse 21. It says, They preached the gospel in that city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, um, Iconium, sorry, my eyes are, Iconium and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. So they had gone back to the cities where they had preached the gospel to, to strengthen them some more. We must go through strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Paul and Barnabas appointed, here it is, appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they put their trust. So here's uh, a glimpse of not only are they establishing churches in every town, every city, but they're also appointing elders. And this is, this is also made clear in Paul's letter to Titus. We'll just look at it real quick. Titus 1.5 says this. Paul writes to Titus and says, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Now, this is an observation that we can take on board this is not one of those things, oh, it's just cultural, it's just in that time or whatever. We can take this on board. If Paul was writing to us today, he would, if we did not have this in place, he would say, this is why I left you to put into order the things that remained to appoint elders in every church. This is God's ordained way for an ecclesia to operate and to be run, is that there would be elders appointed to lead that church. And we'll talk a little bit more as we, as we go along. But if you, if you want to know more about this, you can easily study in, and dig into this. I think it's very dangerous when a church does not have a plurality of leadership through elders. Now, you can call them elders. You can call them overseers. You can call them bishops. You can call them pastors. You can call them shepherds. It's all a way of translating the same, well, really two words. I can't say them in Greek right now, but it's one word, and then uh, presbyteros is another one. They're, two, they're used indiscriminately in Scripture. Indiscriminately. They can be in the same passage. You'll, they'll use one Greek word and then the other one to mean the same thing. They're talking about the elders, the overseers, the shepherds, the bishops. All of those mean those who oversee. And so this is God's design for the local church. This is his design for there to be elders. And we also see in Scripture that there were elders that kind of helped oversee the smaller local churches. But the, the main thing here is that every church has elders that have been appointed. There is a very strict criteria in Scripture to which they need to adhere. And Scripture tells us, if you were to appoint an elder, if you're to, to desire to be an elder, that's a good thing, Scripture says. But here's the criteria of being an elder. And 
so it's not just for anyone, it's, it's for those who, who match that criteria. And it's important because they're going to be leading and shepherding that flock or that local body. And so that's a great uh, thing to observe in the New Testament church that the, the order was to have elders who led the church. And we also in Scripture uh, have deacons. And, you know, deacons we don't use here. We don't use uh, the term uh, deacons. But you could, you could see that um, all of our ministry leaders, for example, are serving as deacons. They're, uh, they're serving. They're servants. They're, they're, so different roles are basically serving in that way. And, yes, there were female deacons in Scripture, at least one, Phoebe. All right, let's move on. Acts 16.5 says this, So the churches, plural, were strengthened in, in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. So there were instructions that we see throughout Scripture and expectations for the New Testament church. As we just mentioned, elders, um, here's what elders were charged to do. Elders are to care for and protect the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made them overseers. Acts 20, verse 25 through 32 says this, And now behold, uh, this is Paul, this is Paul speaking, And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom, excuse me, let me just say this is the, he's speaking to the Ephesian elders, Um, And this is towards, as you can see, the end of Acts. He is actually giving his goodbyes to these brothers. He's literally, and you'll see here, saying, I'm not going to see you again. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. So he is really... Uh, admonishing these elders in Ephesus, saying that he is not going to see them again. This is towards the end of his uh, ministry in life. And he is telling them, listen, be alert, watch over yourselves. Those elders were to watch over themselves, not only themselves, but each other themselves, and over the flock to which the Holy Spirit had appointed them. So part of this role of an elder is not only to lead and to um, shepherd and care for, but to protect. And we see this again and again throughout Scripture, the importance of this. 
And anyone living in today and, and is aware of things going on in this world, have, you should have an appreciation for this. I do. I, I've become more and more appreciative of being part of a local body, of having brothers and sisters to help, um, help protect me, to help uh, to guard me, to be there for me if I start to drift or I get caught up in some wacky um, thing that's being taught, that I have brothers who, who, can, who will speak up and admonish me and help show me the deception that's going on. I'm very thankful for that. And this is part of the role of the elders and the flock to one another. And I, I'm just becoming more and more appreciative of that, uh, honestly with the way things are going and the, the amount of deception that's going on out there in this world. It's, it's unbelievable, the deception and the things that are being taught. So this is a really healthy thing. Elders are instructed to shepherd the flock willingly, eagerly, and by example. Peter 5 verses 1 through 4 says this, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, I think this is Paul talking, excuse me, this is Peter talking, uh, obviously, First Peter, um, of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And, and there you have... Uh, and, and finally, in the, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. I like how Peter um, instructs them to not dominate. And you see that sometimes, from, unfortunately, from the pulpit and from leaders in churches, that they, they're, they're heavy-handed, and they're, they're trying to dominate their, their flock, beat them into submission. That's not how we are to lead. We're to lead by example. We're to lead by caring for. Yes, there's going to be admonishing. You, you saw what Paul said to the elders. Look, I, I am not, I don't have any blood on my hands because I preached the whole council. Even through tears, I admonished you. So there are going to be times every elder is going to need to admonish, to correct, to discipline. Sometimes the whole church is going to need to discipline. But it's for the care of those sheep. Members are instructed to submit to their church elders. So in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, the Hebrew writer, the writer of Hebrews says this, obey your leaders and submit to them. And we're talking about church leaders, elders. He's talking to the flock, obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as though uh, as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Let us do that with joy, people. Come on. <laughs> now, this is, this, is, this is really hard for some people to hear, like to submit to your leaders. And we live in a country that, you know, this country was birthed out of rebellion. We, we, we are, when it comes to rebellion, man, we know what re, how to be rebels. 
And that's who we are as an American people. We've kind of grown up with this um, fabric of our DNA, kind of, it's just in there. And so submission is hard. It's one thing for submitting to one another, you know, in a marriage, but you talk about submitting to a leader, we are not very good at that. But unfortunately for us, this is our instructions that we are to submit to the elders, to the ones who the Holy Spirit has appointed as overseers over that flock, over that body. Now, this is why it's so important that the elders lead by plurality. So no one head pastor is calling all the shots and possibly getting off in error or doing something that's wrong. That's why with a plurality of elders, we call each other out on things. We keep each other in check. And of course, there's times where the, where the flock, the sheep, have to, have to bat really loud <laughs> and complain about something that's going on. And that's part of being, you know, the, the body and, and being subject to, to one another as well. But Scripture says to obey your leaders and submit to them for they, listen, I have no desire, nor does Phil, nor, nor does Rex, nor does Kevin. I think you guys have heard from us in our hearts long enough to know we have no desire to control you. That is not why we are here. But we do have a desire to care for you, to feed you, and to protect you. And we have a desire for you to do the same for us. We need you. We need your prayers. We need your support. All of this is for us to be working together as the body. And so the last thing you're going to get from us is any kind of domineering from up here. And hopefully you will get lots of mercy and humility because anything that we could teach you is because we learned the hard way. So let them do this. Let us do this with joy, not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. That is an interesting way to end this. Like, don't be difficult for the ones the Holy Spirit has appointed to oversee you, because that would be of no advantage to you. That's what, that's what that says. So that's good. And, you know, that's good for us to know, because in, in a sense, the elders are, uh, we are submitted to one another as well. So if we're in an elders meeting and someone's off base, there's going to be some correction. And we have to, at that point, submit to one another when that happens. All right, let's look at um, another observation here. Um, members are instructed, oh, this is just a real quick one. Members are instructed to call on their elders when they are sick and need healing or forgiveness of sins, and to also confess their sins to one another for healing. This is in James 5, 14 and 16. It says, is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them. Now, to be able to call on your elders, you have to know who your elders are. Does that, that make sense, right? So you can't call on, if you're not a part of a, of a local church, a local body, and you have not submitted yourself under the, the oversight of elders, you have no elders on which to call. So clearly, this is 
expecting you to be a part of a local body and to have been submitted to, 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 to be submitted to the elders so that you can call on them and they and, and the elders of the church to, to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord and the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Well, that's something we definitely should, should do more often. And I've, we've said this many times from the pulpit. We, we welcome you to call on us. Many, many have. And we will do our part, and we will go and pray for you. We'll anoint you with oil, and we will pray for God to raise you up. Now, the raising you up part is not our responsibility. Our responsibility is to pray for you with faith, and that we will do. And then we, we wait on God and leave it to him to do the rest. But your part is to call on the elders when you're sick and you need healing. All right, let's uh, take a look at another observation here. Uh, members, this is in James as well. Members are instructed to try and bring back anyone among you who wanders from the truth. James 5, 19 and 20 says, My brothers, if anyone among you... Now, this is talking about each other, all of us. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Now, this is, again, you see those words, among you. So we're to be able to know who is among us. So there's a, there's a knowing of who belongs to, the, to this body, to this fellowship. There's a knowing of who, who am I doing this ecclesia with? And this gives us the opportunity for uh, us to help protect each other from wandering. Listen, this is a good thing. Oftentimes, we, I, don't, I think we receive stuff like this as someone trying to control me. Please, please know, no one is trying to control you here. Now, I can't speak for your husband and wife, but no one in the church here is trying to control you. But what we should be doing and we should be thankful for is that we're helping to protect one another from deception and from attack from our enemy. Another observation, when it comes to how we are to treat one another, well, actually, there's just too many of these. We've gone, we, got, we went through a lot of them in Colossians when we did the series on Colossians of how we treat one another. There's, there's so much of this throughout the New Testament uh, letters and, and even the Gospels of how to treat one another. Um, we can't cover them all here, but there's lots there. And lastly, an observation that we already saw a glimpse of is church discipline. It's, it's expected as a way to protect the flock from deception and from going astray. Jesus was the first to mention it, as we saw in Matthew 18, 17. And uh, Paul illustrates this as well. He illustrates this very strongly, actually, in Corinthians, in, in the Corinthian church. And he writes to them to deal with a man among them who was knowingly committing sexual sins. He was knowingly in sexual immorality. He was sleeping with his father's wife. Now, to explain that, this is, a fa- this is not his mother. This is a father's wife. More than likely, he married younger or whatever. Anyway, the point is that was a forbidden. That was immoral, clear in the, in the Old Testament Scripture and laws that that was, 
sexual immorality. And this is something he was doing actively and still in the church. And Paul writes to the Corinthians and said, what are you doing? You're, you're boasting about yourselves and this is going on in your church? No, 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 no. You need to deal with this right now. He's not even there, but he says, listen, my spirit goes with you. You need to deal with this guy and you need to get him out of the church. So part of church discipline is, and this, is, this hopefully is a last resort, but part of church discipline is the possibility of the church putting a person out of the church. Now listen, you cannot be put out of the church if you've never been in a church. And unfortunately, that's what many do. In our culture and society, they just decide, I'm not going to join a church. I'm not going to submit myself to be able to be under anyone's discipline. And that's why they find themselves in such vulnerable positions in life. Because they are lone sheeps. And they are targets. And there's no body or fellowship to help protect them. But this is an example of where being under a church body and submitting to that oversight and allowing, when necessary, church discipline to take place, this is how it can save someone. And he told them, put this man out of the church. He not only says, put him out. He says, put him into the hands of Satan. That's what Paul said. Put him into the hands of Satan so that Satan will destroy his flesh and perhaps his spirit, his soul would be saved. What what he's saying is, put him out of the covering of the church. He is under a, a, a covering of sorts by being part of a local body of Christ. And Paul says, put him out, put him outside, out of our covering, out of the protection of the, of the body of Christ. And that's basically handing him over to Satan. Satan will have dibs on him. Satan will have a right to him. And Satan will destroy his flesh. Paul says, the, no sin is good, but the sin of sexual morality is sin against your own body. And that's what this man was doing. And by putting him out of the church into the hands of Satan, Satan was going to destroy his flesh. We see it happening all the time with diseases, sexually transmitted diseases, and all the things that come from the the sins of sexual immorality. It's a a destruction to your own body. And that's what Paul instructed them to do. And it was wisdom because the man repented. Repented. And in the second letter to the Corinthians, Paul has to admonish them, okay, he's repented and he's come back. That's exactly what we wanted. Now embrace him with love and forgive him and strengthen him. Don't let him be overwhelmed by, uh, by his failure and whatever was going on bodily with him. Receive him back and now build him up. And that's the beauty of church discipline. Listen, that, that's such a foreign thing for us, but this man was in risk and in danger of losing his soul. Losing his soul. Paul made that very clear. You need to put him out and let his flesh be destroyed so that perhaps he will turn from his sin and his soul will be saved. 
That's serious business. And Paul did, he did not tiptoe around that. He just said, this is what we need to do. That's church discipline. Now, that doesn't happen a lot in our churches today because, first of all, people don't submit to the leadership of, of churches or to submit themselves to church discipline in that way. But the other thing is, well, I, it, it's such a difficult topic to, to, to deal with. There's so much sexual immorality going on in churches today, and it's rampant. And uh, not only with the flock, but it can be with the leadership as well. Very difficult to implement church discipline when the person who wants to throw the stone is is involved in sexual sin as well. That's not always the case, but I'm thinking that's part of the reason why you don't see a lot of this going on, perhaps. It's unfortunate. But this is a difficult thing to navigate, and and the elders would take this something like this very, very seriously as we should and prayerfully before this type of action would be taken. But my point is, this is an example of glimpse of why ecclesia is important and church discipline is needed at times to save a sheep's soul from perishing eternally. If there was no... If there was no risk in that, then why bother? Why go through all that? There was a risk involved. So Paul said it's better for his flesh to be destroyed and him, his soul to be saved. That is better. As Jesus said, it's better to cut off a hand, pluck out an eye, and then enter the kingdom of heaven than to, to perish because of it. So it certainly lines up with that. I'm going to bring this uh, to a close. Here are two primary reasons that I think, this is just me, but this, these are the two primary reasons I think God has organized his people in this way, to belong to ecclesia, to belong to a body, a local body, and to submit under the leadership of and oversight of elders and to submit to one another within that body. And the first is, as I've mentioned many times, protection. This may not have, have, maybe this hasn't been a reality to you yet. But this is becoming more and more. It was in the, in the day of these believers. They certainly understood it when they were under persecution um, for their faith. We've had a very easy, easy peasy life in America. Now, some of us haven't because of things that have happened to our lives. But as far as faith and, and the freedom of religion, things like that, we've had it fairly easy. But that's not even the thing I'm necessarily talking about. Yeah, that's probably coming, but I'm much more concerned about deception because this I see happening amongst the churches and amongst Christian people often. I, I, I'm, I'm seeing this where God's people used to be very clear about the boundary of dabbling in other religions and, and, and occult practices. Now there's this blurred line. And, and there's many, many professing Christians who have gotten themselves involved in other religions and uh, other spiritual practices 
where the source is not God. The source is not the Holy Spirit. And it is dangerous. And this has crept into the churches. And, And here's the thing. If someone hasn't submitted to a body and to elders who are godly men who are are preaching the truth, who are devoted to these things we've looked at, they are very susceptible and vulnerable to deception. And it's happening. It's happening left and right. It's happening. And it's it's, it's something that we really need to think about in the sense of why we need to not neglect the gathering, but be plugged into a body and submit to a body so that there's protection for us. So that's, that's one. And the other thing would be effectiveness in being the body of Christ to those in the world who are sick and lost. That is, that is what we're called to do, not only to be a body for each other, but to be a body, the body of Christ in this world to those who are lost to those who are sick, to those who desperately want hope and need hope. We're to be that hope. We're to be the Jesus Christ who used to walk this earth. That's who we're to be. We're to be his hands and his feet. And if you look at what he's, he did, the amount of, of deliverance and healing and hope that he gave to people, that's who we're to be. So in order to be that, we have to have a healthy body, which leads to the last thing I want to say. And it goes back to this thing called membership. And here's the thing. The word member used to be used way back only to mean body parts, to mean limbs, you know, arms, hands, leg. That's what member meant. And it still means that today, but that was the only meaning. But in Romans and 1 Corinthians, Paul uses the concept of the church being a body with many members. Each member has a different function. All the members are important and needed to help the body function effectively and as a whole. And we see that so clearly um, Right here in Romans 12, it says, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, in proportion to our faith. If service, in our serving. The one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. And that is just a glimpse. And he writes the same thing in an even more expanded way about the body, the illustration of the ecclesia being a body with many members. Now, this is the oldest known use of the word member to describe an individual belonging to a larger group. So it is not that we're trying to be like a country club or we're wanting to be like this or that with membership and stuff. Why does a church want to do that? No, it's, 
It's just the opposite. Everyone is copying the original form of membership, which is church. This is the original. This is where it came from. So I think it's funny because sometimes, and I used to be one, I would wonder, you know, why, why does the church want to be like a country club or be like this or that club? But, but we, it's the, it's the other secular organizations that are copying the original membership program inspired by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit inspired Paul to illustrate the body of Christ, the, the church being a body with many members. And we should be a member that belongs to a body. And therefore, membership was God's idea. So all of that to come to this conclusion. I want us all to, to be on the, on the same page about it. Because uh, as you can see, there's lots of legitimacy to church membership. Call it what you want, but that comes from Scripture, member of a body of Christ. And so for us to be able to know who is among us, who has committed to one another, who has submitted themselves to, to our, as, as elders, it's very helpful when we know who we're caring for, who are we feeding and nurturing and protecting? Because, listen, it's unfortunate, but we get people in here all the time who might spend weeks coming regularly for weeks and being involved in all the activities that we have going on, and then all of a sudden, one week, poof, they're gone. We never hear from them again. They're gone for whatever reason. I'm not judging the reasons. My point is we've learned that we can't just take anyone who comes through this door as um, automatically, immediately, they're a member of this body because it just doesn't work out that way. You get people that come through who are divisive. They're, they come through with an agenda. They come through because they want to be served. We get all sorts. And so we can't just say everyone who comes through those doors is a member of this body. It just doesn't work out that way. And so to know who is among us, to know our number, and to know who we're caring for and who we're submitting and being subject to one another, to be able to be in unity with one another, to be the body of Christ, all of that takes some organization. And Scripture doesn't give us all the details of how we're to implement that. It leaves it to us, and I'm thankful for that because we can take into account our day and age, our, our culture, our, our technology, things like that, as to how we, how we know who is among us, how we know who belongs to this body, how we keep in touch, how we nurture, how we care for, how we feed. All of those things can be adjusted according to what's most effective in our modern society today. So I'm thankful for that. But uh, clearly, there's a legitimacy to church membership. And we want to, I want us to pray, pray that God 
will continue to add to this body those who he's bringing and those, uh, whether he's saving them and wants to put them in a body, whether he's bringing them from somewhere else and wants to put them here. Because they have gifts. You guys have gifts. And we need them in this body. If God is leading you to this body, we need you to join because we need your gifts. We need to be putting our gifts to work, serving not only one another, but those who are outside of these, these walls. And we need each other to be able to do that and to do that most effectively. All right, let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for uh, your word and the, this just the incredible uh, truth and clarity that you have in there about, about this very thing. Uh, about being a member of a local body and the import, importance of that. Thank you that um, we were able to take a look at that and see um, your instructions and your expectations and see how it was modeled in the New Testament, uh, in the early church. God, we want to do this and do it well. God, we want all those who you have for us, who you're leading to join this body, we want them. We need them. They have gifts that we need in this body. They have roles and functions that we need in this body for this body to, effect, to effectively uh, function as the body of Christ. So God, we ask that you would prompt their hearts, that you would lead them here to this place, and that you would um, allow that to happen in such a way uh, that commitment, that intentional commitment to this body, that they join so that we know they're here they're here to serve. They're here to be a part of this body. They're here for us to care for them and feed them and protect them. All of those benefits that come with being a member of a body of Christ. God, we want that for this church. We love you so much. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a broadcast from LifePoint Church in Greenville, South Carolina. If this ministry has touched your life in some way, we would love to hear from you. Just visit our website at www.lifepointsc.org for more information. Or, if you prefer to reach us by letter, you can write to us at P.O. Box 27036, Greenville, South Carolina, 29616, USA. Until next time, may God bless you as you continue to follow Him.